As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to listeners old and new. I'm Graham Hunter. You can get an extra big interview plus a documentary special every month and hear all our content free of adverts by signing up as a socio at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. This month, only socios get my big interview with Kev Kilban. For £2.99 per month, you'll also know you're supporting our show. More at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Thanks to all our socios. We need your help to do this. We couldn't and wouldn't do it without you. It's time for round two with Paul Dickov in the big interview. Finally, Manchester City fans, finally you're going to hear about Main Road, that playoff final, Oasis, and what Paul finds most thrilling about this current version of Manchester City. If you're not a City supporter, I still think you'll be interested in the glimpse of a point in that club's history not so long ago when they were seconds away from another season in the third tier. If a certain Scottish striker, yes, initials PD, doesn't score... Gwyneth Paltrow never meets John Hanna, and perhaps Pep Guardiola never finds Phil Foden either. Okay, you have to watch films to understand that sliding doors reference. Before all that, I want to explain a little bit about what Paul is up to now. He mentors kids in the schools run by the Loris Trust, that's in the Manchester area. The Loris Trust targets sporting as well as academic excellence, and Paul talks to children and teachers in groups, or one-on-one, about managing sporting development diet and nutrition, plus laying pathways that give kids at these free schools the best possible chance of being all they can be. Do find out more at lauristrust.co.uk. You'll be interested. Well, you need to tell me how many days we'd need to cover you and Manchester City. (laughs) So let's try and be selective. In fact, you can... Yeah. If we're dancing, you can lead yeah. on this one. I know what I'm interested in. And I, w- I want to take it in reverse a little bit because and if any stage I go into a blind alley and you say, no, I've got more important or interesting yeah. things to tell you, then just say so. Yeah. This is your podcast. When we arrived here, the taxi driver, our taxi driver, 
jumped out and wanted a photo with you. You know, you're literally loved and adored. Mm. If I hadn't been for that Aguero, then you were the Scottish yeah, Aguero. We're joking, could I celebrated that goal more than I did my I own I bet one. you probably yeah. did. The thing I want to do is I want to go back to automatismos and think about Wembley in 99. Yeah. And tell me if you don't remember, but I'm sure you've watched it often enough. But as you're playing Gillingham, which you, know, you must have asked a billion times, the thing that stands out to me is not necessarily that it's a chum of yours in goals or that it's quite a big moment mm. for the club. I don't know who the Gillingham defender is that gets into the goat and between him and Sean... The ball comes to you like a, he's you know, still a wet claiming, baby seal. He's still claiming. I was an assist to go. Yeah. You see, I, yeah. I, I need respect yeah. saver. Grasping it. Didn't look like that to me. So I'm sorry. But the ball rockets at you. Mm-hmm. And if it was a fluke, you can tell me. And if you don't remember, you can tell me. But your touch is just sublime. It's velvet. Mm-hmm. And it's off the inside cushion of your right foot just to give you a little bit of room for the shot. You've got no reaction time. And it's a beautiful touch. And if you want, we'll talk about the nicknames. I don't know how many nicknames you've got. Yeah. Is there a list quite long? And probably that we couldn't. Some of them are pesky. Yeah, and what, I, some I, we probably couldn't say. I, I, I would have said silky. Yeah. You know, that touch was gorgeous. I've been called a lot of things. I've okay. been called silky before. <laughs> well, it was a silky touch. Yeah. Am, I, am I overselling the moment? Or, t- or can you remember the moment? Or could you go back to it and I think about it? I've had this conversation with loads of people saying, can you remember the goal? Can you remember the celebration? Did you plan it? I can't remember anything about it. Nothing. <laughs> it's just about I put it down to practice. Yeah. And training. And I went through, went through a stage that season. Well, I went through a lot of stages in my career where I couldn't hit Arndor. And I was, I was struggling in front of goal, and Joe, the gaffer, he, he worked with me, and I'd, I'd done little things after training. With the it was ball. Joe Royal, who'd yeah. been a, a big striker himself forever in Man City. Absolutely, and what, what a manager, and what a guy as well. Um, and we worked at it. Well, a lot of it was firing the ball into me, touch, hit. I even came up with this little thing. If I was shooting in training, I was doing my thing. And my, sometimes I would say, I'll go touch it. Ball was coming quicker, I'll go touch it. All the time in my head, in my head, in my head. And when it went into games, I look back a lot of my goals. After that, a lot of it was very similar with the thing in my head. And I can only imagine that's what happened with the goal. Mm. It's come into me, practice it loads in training, touch it, hit the target. It's a brilliant explanation and you don't remember it, but if, I, if the way I've described it, you must have looked at it again. I've I watched it a couple of times. I haven't yeah. described it falsely. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping you're not going to be modest there. It was exactly what you've touched on about, like the kill the pace or don't or hit yeah. it first time, Joe and you in the practice. It is a good touch. Yeah, it was. You know, and at a moment as well, I know you don't remember it, but there was a lot of pressure mm. in that moment. Yeah. You're not aware of it in the instant, probably. No, I was just I'd missed a chance just before it that Vince had he saved it rather than you missed saved, it. Yeah, he, he pulled off a good save. And Vince, apparently, I didn't know this at the time. Was you? Yeah. I was. I was Vince's best man. And me and Jan, my wife, are godparents to. Um, it's a terrible old George thing all yeah. over again, isn't it? Exactly. Really? Okay. Um, but yeah, I've watched it back, and you know that was a good touch, and it was it was a decent finish as well. You know, Vince takes some stick um, about it, and I give him some stick as well because it looks as if he's pulled his hand away a little bit, which obviously he's not. <laughs> Come on, I'd say not. <laughs> and get it in, but. As well, does it take a? It doesn't. Doesn't take a touch. Nah, off, don't be stupid. Did, no, so definitely. <laughs> yeah. Wait, no, I, I, the audio is failing here. Are you clear on whether it did or didn't? Do, it definitely didn't. <laughs> I knew that anyway. I just but had yeah, to but Vince had saved before, and what a lot of people don't realise when Gillingham went two 0 up, 
Tony Pulis took off his two best players, two centre-forwards, Carla Saba and Robert Taylor, right. who were probably the best, apart from me in the goal, and strike partner <laughs> in the division. You know, they, they were lethal. They both scored in the game and were really dangerous. And at 2-0, Tony took them off. And I remember looking at a lot of the Gillian players high-fiving each other, congratulating each other, even when Kevin Orlock scored in the 89th minute. And I'm thinking to myself, I remember, the one thing I do remember on the pitch, that, that we were going to get another chance here. And that team had came back. That's in, that's in your head. That's actually echoing around yeah. your head. We'll get another chance yeah. here. Yeah. Love that. Um, that team had came back loads of times to score late on in games that season as well. And I just had a feeling. Um, at 2-0, I was devastated. I was on my haunches, Wembley. Dream shattered, playing at Wembley, scoring at Wembley, the build-up to it at the club's I, Had you trod the grass before? No, first time. Probably never been a Tartner on your man either. Well, no, I'd, I'd been there with Arsenal as a squad player, but never actually played in the pitch. Mm-hmm. You know, And it went from devastation, all your dreams are shattered, yeah. to being the lucky little shit that, that, that scored equalizer mm-hmm. to take it into to extra time. Not luck, hard work. Let me ask another one that's, that plays into all of that. You, you'd prepared for the playoff in the city of Manchester, mm-hmm. where it must have pissed everybody off that there was a carnival going on. Yep. And they'd, Manchester United had won the treble in the most extreme... Yeah, the 95th minute the Wednesday before circumstances yeah. did, did people talk about that in the city dressing room we didn't as players no we were just so focused and you know talking about big characters at Arsenal we had a lot of characters in that in that team as well you know and Joe Joe was brilliant at managing the individuals because there was all sorts and there was ways and strays from everywhere do you know really? what I mean and, and Joe just had this brilliant knack of managers all individually brilliantly and putting his into a different team. strokes for different folks. Yeah, but when it came to the togetherness and everything else, he knew how to do that as well. Did you watch the game, the United game in the camp? Now? I did. I watched it at home. Do you think the rest of them did? Uh, I don't know. It's just an irrelevant. It, it was a blip. Yeah, we just didn't. Probably because we didn't want to think about it. <laughs> you know, but fair point of view from the blue side of Manchester, that that week building up to the game was massive. You know, people queuing days to get tickets for Wembley and. And the position the club was in at that time. The club know, had never been in the third tier before. They hadn't, and it shouldn't have been. Well, it was complete mismanagement before. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and talking about Joe's man management, when Joe first came in, I think there was 56 pros. 56? In the club, yeah. I mean, from the, from the end of August, September, when I signed for City to the January, I had five different managers. Yeah. Which is just ridiculous, you know, and you think about it. There was a sign for Alan Ball, mm-hmm. God bless him, on the Friday, on the Sunday. He loses his job, and I'm mm. thinking, cheers, thanks for that. Nice one. Uh, yeah, Asa Hartford and Steve Koppel for 39 yeah. days. Steve wasn't keen on the job, he went quickly. Yeah, his own volition. Then Phil Neal, well, actually, then Frank Clark came in in January, so mm. six managers the club had had. Mm. And what had happened, every manager that came in, they allowed them to bring in their own players. Nobody was overseeing it? No, they bah. So when Joe comes in and he's got 56, 56, when you think Premier League squads are 25 now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and really elite managers talk about wanting short squads because yeah. it's easier to, okay, with injuries. The elite managers probably want about 19 that players that with a chance to take four or five kids. kids. Yeah, there's yeah. no chance for any of the kids. 56. There was, honestly, at the, the Platt Lane at the old training ground, there was three different first team changing rooms. <laughs> you know, there was the ones that Joe wanted to keep the ones that he probably wanted to keep but couldn't afford to keep and the ones he wanted to let go Whoa. and to manage that situation the atmosphere and bring stuff up poison oh. it 
times, you know, and because it's impossible to get unity of purpose yeah. and unity of feeling there. Of course it is. Of course it is. But not when it's like that. Not when you've got a group of players who have been told that they don't want to be. I'm not talking about two or three. Yeah, I'm you're talking, talking about, about twenty-three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and for Joe, I didn't know that. I, I didn't look back know and after that. sort of managing myself, uh-huh. you realise how brilliant he was at doing that. You know, I remember having a conversation with Johnny's office at Platley and him telling me that Wigan wanted to sign me that he he needed to, didn't want me to go. Um, he loved having me there, he loved what it was about, but he had to, it was simple, he needed to try and get some money in and he needed to trim his squad. And I was one of the few players that he'd offers for. What did I think? And I went, are you being honest with me and saying that you want to keep me? And he went, yeah, I said, well, I'll stay. Well, wow, there's a sliding doors thing right there. This is in season one, yeah. because by the end of that season, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to score against Wigan yeah. in the semi-final, put them out and go to yeah, Wembley. That's right, yeah. Season before. So you, but in that discussion, even though you've said to Joe, I challenge you, you tell me the mm-hmm. truth here. Football is based, without being rude, football is based on a lot of untruths. Oh, bullshit. And, 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 and double dealing yeah. and bullshit. It is. And if we don't... But say I, that, but then we were lying. But I just, I just felt. But it. you have to take that risk. You, I go back to your dad Absolutely. when he says, "As long as you're doing your best, because you've taken a risk on Joe. You don't yeah. know him that well. Yeah. He could be selling you a line, and you could be sitting as player number thirty-two because yeah. he hasn't got everybody out in six yeah. months' time. Yeah. I can't yeah. But you've, you've been brave enough to go. I have, and I, I'm going to trust you. I back myself. Yeah. I thought if he's going to give him the opportunity, I'll, I'll show him. And do you know what? If it doesn't. And don't forget, there was no transfer windows then, so he could move a majority of the time anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, so if. Well, if he does give him the opportunity and I show him and it still doesn't happen mm. there'll still be something else there if I don't get the opportunity mm. there'll still be something else there mm. but at least he's willing to give me this chance and I'll show him again then I'm going to test you a little bit because the penalty shootout that you've earned for City Gillingham don't do particularly well in it but your uh, kick must have ticked you off because it's hit every part of the woodwork and not gone in honestly um, against Vince again I've never been as confident in my life of taking a penalty Seriously. The week leading up to it and the Wigan game, because the two-legged Wigan game, because it was tight and the one at Main Road, we knew who was taking the penalties. Joe had us prepared. We ah. knew who was one, two, three, was a four, list. five. We were and taking the order. them after day. Wow. In training and everything else. Are you a believer in that? Because I've, I've seen it all in my time. I am, yes, but exact same as I wanted to do finishing on a Friday. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I needed to do that. Mm-hmm. Other people, maybe not. You know, I, I do think it's a completely individual thing. Did you care where you came in the order of five? Ordered. I was honestly, I was so confident to the point. The three days leading up to, I stayed out with Nicky Weaver, and I would say weaves because it's helping him as well. I'm going to put the ball there, mm-hmm. but don't cheat, don't dive early. But you know where it's going. He couldn't save one of them. Wow! Every penalty I took, so you're hitting the side panel, and yeah. I'm telling them where I'm putting it as well. So when I've made that walk to go up to take the penalty in my head, I was like, "Bang!" Joe used to say, "You're like a tennis machine." Brilliant. <laughs> but brilliant. looking back at the penalty now, without trying to get you off the hook, because spoiler, City win. Where it strikes that right hand post, it, there's two reasons it should go in. At that angle, it probably should just go straight into yeah. the opposite side panel, and it, the way it moves, it, they should cast. You know, Vince's heel and, and got in, to be honest with you. It was. I was devastated. You know, I wasn't until so confident. That's why I'm asking this question, yeah. because you didn't you didn't look devastated, not one instant. Oh, I was. You looked as if you were an office worker who dropped his pen. And you go, you go like this, and because the guy before you took Gillingham's first one, yeah. and he's missed, and he's got his head in his hands. It's the scream by Munch. But, and you know what, Graham? Probably the reason I didn't do that was because I knew we were still level. 
That's that's what I'm talking you know, about mentality. Inside. I might be giving too much into this, yeah. but he told everybody, Gillingham, his coach, the other players, we're doomed. Yeah. And you were like, I'm ticked off. And you walked back and you got a big embrace from yeah. the fellas when you were back there. But you were walking back there. No big deal. Right? It's all yeah. under control. I'm not weeping yeah. tears. I think in the tension of a moment yeah. when your teammates who aren't as sure as you they're going to hit the net, I think you've done them a wee favour there. Yeah, And I handed every confidence in the lads that were going up as well. What helped me, I'm not saying helped me, but obviously they've missed theirs. Kevin Orlock scored. Mm-hmm. They've missed. I've missed. So we're still... Pressure still on them, and then they missed the next one. So, from the time it took me to walk back for the penalty spot and then walking up and taking it, every emotion possible. I actually celebrated them missing the penalty probably just as much as I did <laughs> scoring my goal because I knew I was off the hook. Yeah, whatever happens yeah, now, I'm you know. And then Richard Richard Edgell scored, so you know it's your you know it's your day when Richard Edgell scores. Any sort of I, I'm 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 not aware of Richard's reputation <laughs> technically, but I'm beginning to gauge that you feel that Brilliant. maybe that was his big moment technically. Yeah, it was. Okay, yeah, just about. Well, he loved the club. He kissed. He the did. He did. And the top boy. And then we, 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 did, did Nicky practice that run? You know, could he do it with a ball at his feet? I've never seen one run ever. And he's two, fast and two as quick as that he's fast and there's two triple pass photographers yeah. and up the stand and down again do you know what I thought I was going to have to get a defib out <laughs> I swear to god because he, he's ran that much right and I was the last one because I probably too nice I went to see Vince straight away cause yeah, I, yeah, and yeah, do you know what he would have done the same thing as well yeah, yeah. Um, that's proper French um, and the big galoots running around Wembley. That's a brilliant word. So, that's, a, that's the first time in about 52 interviews we've had the word galoot. <laughs> I love that. Um, but all the lads are on top of Nicky with the time I get There's there. a big pile up. So, so I'm the last one. Yeah. And I've went down, I went like that, and I swear to God, it was like... <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a screaming pig in the ground. He couldn't breathe. Ah. It was that knackered, because it's the only time and the quickest he's ran in his life. And, oh, it's, but, it's... But brilliant. And do you know what? Just on weaves, it's a... He would have been England's goalkeeper, I have no doubt about it, if he hadn't been his injuries. So he's a character, uh, Richard's a character. They all were. Help me a little bit, because, you know, you've, you've played with somebody, you're loved here for various different reasons, and I, and I suppose it's your part in the promotions, your devotion to the cause, your ability, your goals, attitude. Also, fans know who they like, yeah. I think. But there were others. Kinky? Georgie could not make you with your legs closed. Unbelievable ability. Talking about saying about crying shame about weeds, he should have played at a top club, but he'd probably admit himself that his his attitude wasn't the best on a, on a day-to-day basis. Or at night, yeah, or at night, or away at South End on a Tuesday night. Ah. Mm. You know, mentality. Could, if you could great, have grafted a little bit of great, great kid, yeah. great kid, but just as in applying himself as he should have done. You know, and without speaking to, I seen him about six months ago, I think it was, in depth about it. It's probably a regret he's got now. You, when you talk about his ability, I mean, he genuinely was he a magician. Make, he was a little git, honestly. He would <laughs> take the piss out of you in training. You, you knew what he was going to do, but you couldn't get anywhere near him. That, that's something in football where you yeah. know what somebody's going to do, yeah. you can't stop he it. Was, he was so talented, and uh, it's just such a shame. I know he went to Ajax and it didn't work out, but... And he did, he did have a sort of real cult status here. Was there a kind of fit between the club and the fans and the attitude and the sort of idea of Manchester yeah. City and Kinky at that time? Even Kinky. 
he, he probably shouldn't have got him in the first place, you know, for, for the player he was and and where the club won his Premier League when they signed him. But he was a phenomenal talent. He really was. George Weah. George was brilliant. Most came here World Player of the Year. So humble. You know, you're sitting on. I remember I think his first game was Stockport pre-season. You know, and I was even as you say George Weah Stockport away pre-season. Yeah, and it was. And it's there's something not quite. You know, and we're on the coach, and I can remember sitting there and thinking, okay, that's George Weah. <laughs> Just sort of sitting there with his headphones on. What, what is going on here? And then Joe named the team, and it was a pre-season game. He went up front, and Dickie and George. I'm thinking this is surreal. You know, it's, it was mental, but didn't quite work out for him. I think had had, had injuries or age taken a toll, or, or or could you see in training what he was? Or yeah, yeah, something. Yeah, you could tell in training. His first touch was just insane with silky and. Mm. How he moved and little dribbling and strength. Maybe that yard of pace that he used to have had, had gone a little bit. Um, for whatever reason, it didn't quite work out. I sort of tell a slightly different story. The week he left, we played Bradford at home. And Joe, I'd been on the bench, put George on the bench and started me. And I think George thought, and Dick was playing ahead of me, I've gone. <laughs> I'll just yeah, give up now. We played Bradford, I think we won 2-0, 2 I scored. And George left the week after. But what a brilliant, brilliant guy. You know how with young Jim Whitley, Jeff Whitley, a lot of youngsters in this school. Coming through from the, the ranks, yeah. yeah. yeah he, he, he was thought of. And for them to train with him, but see how he handled himself. You know, mm-hmm. there was no ego, wow. no attitude, no nothing. It was just the short time, you know, everybody will tell you the same thing that was here at that time. Just. He's got a political life now, I think. Yeah, so. Very intelligent. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When we had um, a benefit big interview for a cancer hospice in Port Glasgow, Neil Lennon was our guest, mm-hmm. and he told a tale of being a crew and um, moving here and playing for City and falling into bad company with Steve Lomas, I think. Lomi. And 
being invited on a VIP backstage ticket to, I think, an Oasis gig at Main Road. Main Road. And the two of them being overexcited and getting absolutely stocious together as great mates and turning up at the gig and for some reason falling out in the tunnel leading up to the VIP area, battering seven shades out of each other as Oasis Lenny and Lomi could do that sober, <laughs> but this time it was mega, it was nuclear. And they are being huckled, pissed, away from the, the goal line of the VIP room as Noel looks at them and says, lads, lads, none of that behaviour around <laughs> us. Which has got to be, you know, you've yeah, really got it wrong. Yeah, you've, you've overstepped the mark when so, they're telling you that. Have you interacted with the Gallagher brothers and, and is Oasis yeah. of Man City a thing? Oasis Man City is definitely a thing. A big, big thing as well. You know, I remember, and it was at Main Road, can't remember who were playing, Noel and Liam, what was it there? Sort of when they were just hitting the, the big time. Two completely different characters get on well with both of them. Um, and they've walked out onto the pitch, um, been announced, knows what Calm Collective walked out and waved to the crowd. I think it was Portsmouth or something when we were playing. And then it was, I think it was the first day of the season, it was about 30 degrees, you know, sweltering, 30,000 people there. And Liam's walked out with his parker on, hood up. <laughs> And the away fans have booed him so well. Noel's giving it that. Liam's walked out <laughs> onto the pitch, giving two fingers to all the away fans and then coming back off, which, which made his laugh. Um, seen all a lot at the games, especially a lot of the um, European games. We were um, in Madrid a couple of years ago for the semi-final. Mm. Um, he's back. He's kindly invited me to his concert in March in Manchester. I, I think I asked about them not for this stardust drop, but because, again... Um, like Kinky, it feels to me that, you know, how they create, what their music's like, what their attitudes are like, and City, maybe not City today, yeah. but City that you grew up in, yeah. there's a kind of fit. There is, there is, and, you know, I've no doubt it's sort of, it's helped both the club and, and Oasis at the time to have that connection. Fair point. I can't leave this now um, without trying to get you to share a little bit about your enjoyment about what, what's happening at City at the moment. Uh, uh, you're still a Celtic fan? Mm, I would, yeah. That's gone by the way? Yeah. yeah. You should really be a dyed-in-the-wool Arsenal fan. You should. Uh, I have a soft spot. But it's, it's City for you, isn't it? It is, and it's... Um, so, well, that's been rude. MD that... Why? why? Yeah, I've been asked this. But Sorry. You, you know, at that time where, you know, other people laugh at the, the pin tweeting my Twitter and it's like my kids used to ask me where were you when you were shit but why did the fans sing that and I used to say to the kids I was playing <laughs> you know um, and that is a true story we were at the game at the Etihad City fans are singing where were you when you were shit and my boys have asked me why are they singing that and I was like well because that's when I was playing sort of thing, you know. um, and we were by the way for a majority of it um, the club uh, I'm not going to speak on behalf of, of the GOAT and Kevin Orlock and Nicky Weaver and all the players around that time if you ask them they'll probably tell you that they're City fans now as well uh, the supporters are phenomenal there's, there's no supporters like them I know people give them stick now saying they're jumping on the back of the, the success and everything else that's bullshit you know I remember going to Port Vale away on a Tuesday night Colchester's old ground on a Tuesday night York City away and Man City fans taking over 
the place and backing you to the hilt. Um, and it actually seemed the worse we got as a team and the further we went down, the better the supporters. That's, you've got right to the heart of what we think about football in Britain yeah. there, haven't you? Yeah. You know, backs against the wall, the worse it gets, the more we unify. 100%. Take over little grounds, not in a violent way, but like, we're here, we're for you, we're Not just we're the noisy. grounds, the cities. Yeah. You know, I guarantee there was more Man City fans, fans than the home fans. home fans. Not every fan would have, in football would have noticed this going yeah. on around them. No, and some people turn up for the paycheck, do their best, and go away, yeah. irrespective of that fan support. And you know, and it's an old cliche, but and it sounds a little bit cheesy, but what we did as a team, or I would come out and say, or Andy Morrison, or the big characters, and say, "Look, we've seen them out there. Mm. They're here for us. Mm-hmm. Let's go and give them something back." Mm. And the, but the club it just it got a hold of me. It's, it's hard to explain it's that. It's a perfect answer. And I think... Uh, don't, don't we all wish, whoever's listening to this, that we had something like that in our lives? Yeah. It won't always be Man City. Yeah. It won't always be football or sport. Absolutely. But don't you want something to take yeah, hold yeah. of you and your soul and, and, and give your life a little bit extra yeah, spice and meaning? And even, look, I'm doing a lot more work off the pitch for the club now, and, and I love it. I love... You know, I said the other day, then somebody said, I love working for the club I love. You know, Phew. it's great. It's, and especially the way the club is now and I'll, I'll tell you something about the owners as well they are fantastic because it would have been so easy to come into the club and clear everything and change everything you know there's I don't know numbers wise but there's a lot a lot of people working at the club now and big jobs proper jobs within the club that were at Main Road so they've made sure that they've yeah the clubs wanting to be the best massive globally winning things and everything else but they've made sure they've kept the core of the club mm-hmm. here and I think that's something that's, that's quite special and in doing so an attempt to because the owners don't need to win these pe- employees over no. to keep something of the, the character the soul the, or? the character the soul and, and the core of the club and that relationship that Manchester City have always had with the supporters is, is still there then it's inevitable we must also I don't want to move off the owners yeah. if, you, if, if there's more to say you feel free. Yeah, absolutely. But clearly, the thing that is intriguing to me is that I, I watched Pep Guardiola do what he did um, at Barcelona, and particularly the, the first year where it was so rapid, where it was so dynamic, where it was so challenging to so many people, and the squad was in a different shape than it was when he probably reached his absolute peak in 2011 at, at Wembley against Manchester United. And therefore, be, partly because of Neil and Martin publishing Marty Perrineau's books and because Bayern Munich is an interesting institution to me I followed that quite a yeah. lot too but I got very chippy I have to admit I got very chippy about ex-pros and managers in this country just saying Pet can't not here yeah. not here won't work give up that's stupid we know better when we were at the height of that debate not knowing what you see now yeah. this season where were you mentally where were you as a footballer what was your perspective on that debate and on what Pep was trying to do I know it's easy in hindsight for me to say I mm-hmm. always think that he would have got it right but I did and I thought, I've on record as saying that at the time Some of the, if I go back to the summer um, and people are asking me about what do I think about Man City last season and, and the up and coming season and I said then that I've seen some of the best football last season from Pep's team that I'd seen from not just a Man City team but from any Premier League team in some of the games and a majority of the games that they played now yes there was 
obviously things things wrong that, that they've addressed in the summer. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't have finished trophyless at the end of the season. But there were signs with the squad they had last year mm-hmm. that the football they were playing were brilliant, mm-hmm. and they didn't quite get the rub of the greens in certain big games. You know, I remember um, the Chelsea game, for example, um, at the Etihad when David Luiz should have been sent off. Mm-hmm. You know, and a different game altogether, and then. Kevin De Bruyne misses from a yard out, you know, to make it two 0 I think it was at the time. It was huge defining moments that season. You know, Tottenham game ended up drawing two all. Raheem two 0 up. Raheem Sterling's clean through on goal. Kyle Walker ironically pushes him in the back. Penalty three 0 Doesn't give the penalty. Spurs go and score two one, but you're up against it. But the, some of the football they played last season was was brilliant. And then you looked at the players that. He brought in the summer, and I was I was lucky enough to, to go on the pre-season tour, and lucky enough to watch Pep train. Yeah, with the lads. That is a privilege because he's very private about the, yeah. the training. And and be, just be in the environment of the, the hotels and MD that was on that trip will tell you that he could well I could sense something special was happening, you know. And when myself and the great ambassador Mike Summerbay were, were out there and we were watching, okay. we were watching the training. And then you've seen them. I know it's pre-season and it's pre-season games, but when they beat Madrid, um, and then beat Tottenham, it was just like watching a high-intensified training session. Everything that they were doing on the training pitch was just translating naturally onto the onto the football pitch. And you know that's so difficult to do. It sounds simple, and people think you should do it all the time. You know, I've played and I've managed, and for whatever reason. In a game, things don't happen in the training pitch that go on. But it, and even watching the games now, I think back to some of the things I've seen in the summer that I've, I've seen that before. Mm. <laughs> and it's because the, the work they do in the training pitch, yeah, world class players, mm. they translate it onto the pitch. You said an interesting thing that I want to pick up on there because I, I remember I went in the Premier League club, but I did a favour for a manager. He said, Come over, you can pick one of our players to interview and you can watch training. So yeah. I did. And I saw them doing a rondo. Which mm-hmm. is the, the you'll see yeah. them here often in Barcelona, do it in Spain and Madrid. It's very popular in Spain, and it's a, it was invented by Loriano Ruiz at, at uh, Barcelona in the seventies, and it's a brilliant exercise in a number of different ways. But it was instituted at this Premier League club just as something of a of a joke. Yeah, there was no intensity. The ball maybe got passed three times where somebody closed it down. Everybody's intention was that you know you're pa- if you're in the circle rather than doing the doggy chasing. Yeah. was to give a ball to your circle teammate would get them in the middle rather than how long can we keep the ball the training and intensity and doing so well in training that you can take it onto the pitch you said you don't often you know it should be normal but it isn't yeah. normal is it yeah, it doesn't look the funny side of it I was told um, when I became a manager that I'll soon realise that all footballers are thick mm. <laughs> and it's, it's so true and, and at a completely different level I remember managing a game at Oldham where we were playing Swindon away Swindon had just conceded I think it was 12 goals from corners in their previous four games so you're telling the players this you're telling the players this and you're saying set pieces set pieces Wednesday, Thursday, Friday we didn't even train properly we'd done set pieces set pieces set pieces so everybody knew what they were doing attacking showing them videos of them conceding goals this is where we're going to hit this is the area we're going to hit so the last thing I said before we went out down it and Swindon was everybody know what they're doing for set pieces yes Gaffer yes Gaffer yeah. I won't embarrass the kid by saying his name I'll tell you later as well <laughs> two minutes into the game we get a corner and I'm like here we go yeah. you can tell their fans are oh no yeah their players even you can tell they're like yeah so the ball's in the f- 
dug out your balls in the faraway corner flag. Balls still in the corner flag. Balls still in the corner flag, and I'm going. Where? Any chance? He'd forgotten he was taking the corner. <laughs> That's not but right. do you know what he's doing? You know when, when people stand in the goalkeeper and barge into them and he's, he's, not, he's, he's doing it. And I had to go, mm. and he's looked at me and I went, you're taking the corner. And he's went, sorry. <laughs> no, but the, the knock That's from, extraordinary. The, the knock-on from that is, I've then got the fans behind me going, what have you done in training all yeah, week? Well, I don't you even know what they're doing at the corners. Oh. So that's what I'm meaning that, you know, and I've played with players in Premier League level that... But, but is it also true that to try and avoid that kind of uh, in one ear out the other? It, 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 you talked about Joe being really good at unifying and treating different cases differently. Do you bully them into paying attention, bullying them into doing what you what you're telling them to do, or is it a case of convincing? Or because I think this manager here is somebody who is very hard and will discard you at the right moment if you're not. Mm-hmm. But his intention is to be evangelical to convince to bring on side and to to, to engage them and make them think and make them believe and show them why they're doing something I I mean looking from afar and obviously I'm not asking I've only had a couple of conversations with the manager when we were away but the the most impressive thing for me is not how not how they're playing not how they press you can just tell the players hang off every, every single word now, that's hard enough doing that at League One level, to do it with top world-class players, to have them there, De Bruyne as your Silvas, you know, Aguero as your Sani, you can go on and on and on. Mm-hmm. You can just tell that when he, they switch on like that. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of top, top players think they know it all. A lot of players that aren't top players that are playing the professional game think they know it all because they're professional footballers. Mm-hmm. But to have them switched on and hang on is every single word is the most impressive thing for me. Well, that's a great way to finish on City and, and Pep Guardiola, but I can't quite finish until I try to improve. See, I'm a, I'm a generous giving guy, and uh, I'd like to improve your summer experiences. Okay. Because I believe you're on record as saying that quite often you're bumping into ex-adversaries. Yeah. Who are like, oh, I'm staying away from them. Yeah. If, there's, if there's a game of beach football or something, and they're scared of talking to you because yeah. you were... Uh, you, it wasn't personal in the first place <laughs> yeah. on the pitch, was it? It wasn't Never. personal? And it's not the real you. Mm, nowhere near, nowhere near. You know, my my wife and my kids used to say to me, "Why are you like that?" <laughs> On the pitch, I just had an unbelievable desire to win, and we'd do it within the rules any which way I could. But I'm completely opposite off the pitch, as most people would tell you. So when people, when ex Premier League or Championship adversaries bump in you on holiday, they can buy you an ice cream, have a chit chat. Absolutely. Past the fact that feel free, feel free to buy me anything you want. Aha. <laughs> and I can testify um, that not only did I come into this admiring Paul Dickov, I've come out of it admiring and liking him still more. We've been talking to a gent. That was the big interview with Paul Dickov, Paul. Thank Pleasure. you. Loved it. Thank Thanks you very much indeed. No, thank you. So thank you to Mr. Paul Dickov for the interview. And for the off-microphone follow-up in Rincon de Rafa in the Deansgate, Manchester, that followed this podcast recording. Thank you also to all our friends at Manchester City, especially Alex Rowan in the media department. You can get an extra big interview, plus a documentary special every month, and hear all our content advert-free by signing up as a socio at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. 
for just £2.99 per month, you'll also know that you're supporting this show, independent football podcasting, interviews like I hope you never heard before. Without you, we can't do it. Thank you to all our socios, our members. We need you in order to do this. Love and kisses. <laughs>